everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on the King's Crowd Startup Investing Podcast. We are incredibly fortunate today to be joined by Jason Frischman, the founder and CEO of Net Capital. Uh, I've had the great privilege and fortune of getting to know Jason over many, many years um, from his early days at Net Capital, and it's been really fun to watch the organization grow and continue to thrive. And uh, we at King's Crowd have used Net Capital several times for our own fundraisers. Um, so really excited to have this conversation here today with you all. Um, so Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's um, it's crazy to think that we've now known each other for many, many, what, how many many's did you put? Many years? Many, many, many years. I, yeah, I think it's like three or four years at least. What, what, was the, what was the name of the blog? That's how we met. What was That's the blog right. you were running? Simple Innovative Change. And there was nothing simple or innovative about that title, but... <laughs> 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 you definitely yeah. maxed out the syllable limit for a good brand. I think. Sure did. Uh, it turns out the URL was available. Amazing, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the score. <laughs> but um, but no. So you know, you were one of the uh, one of the kind of pioneers of the Reg CF space. I mean, really one of the first handful of platforms that kind of came to fruition. And um, one of my favorite things about you is just your kind of crazy background uh, that led you here. So for those who don't know, we'd love for you to just give a little bit of background about yourself and how you kind of stumbled into creating an online private market. Sure. Um, well, my background is in neuroscience. That's what I studied in, in undergrad, but I, you know, I didn't really go too far with it. I did some medical oncology research at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute up in Boston. And that was enough for me to, to realize that that wasn't necessarily the career path for me. Um, you know, I loved it. And it was impactful, but it, it was really hard to see how the work that we were doing was going to affect real people with real problems and real struggles. And so I, I just wanted to do something completely different. And um, I had a friend of mine from, from college, actually, who had started a little game company. I like, I, you know, I like games. So I was, I was sort of following his progress regardless. Um, and he recruited me to come and work with him, this little startup company. And you know, at the early stages, Chris, like problem number one, two, and three is how do, how do I gather resources? How do I raise capital? How do I hire talent? How do I build products? I mean, but, uh, you know, the, the common denominator of everything you need to accomplish at the early stages is resources and capital is the most flexible resource. And so it became my job kind of to raise capital. And now I'm, I'm like a scientist. Like I had only done things that are very ordered and structured and efficient and logical. And now I'm in this world of early company financing. I know nothing about it. I mean, I know nothing. The capital markets are just a black box to me that should work. And it was just utter chaos. And I was, I was really shocked at the way in which we had to go about raising capital. Um, and we were fortunate that we were successful, but you know, we were young, white, male. We were in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we were very well connected because um, of the founder of this company was very well connected. And so like our ability to get into doors and into meetings was significantly higher than your, I think your average company. You know, I, I left, I remember I left a meeting, an hour meeting, maybe it was 45 minutes with a check for $75,000. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's like, what, a like, like a cartoon, like, what? Like what? <laughs> how many zeros are on this check? Like it just didn't make the whole process seemed so chaotic and the from the investor's perspective chaotic and inefficient from the entrepreneur's perspective you know that's where you start thinking 
all right, so we're these young white males from Cambridge and this is our process. What if we were like minority women from like Detroit, Michigan? Like where would we even start? How would we do this? It just seemed impossible. And that's how I got into this world. And that's what had me thinking. And I think that sort of outsider view, being, being so separated from the world of finance and then thrown into the middle of a startup financing, I think that's part of what gave me a, a perspective that led me to founding Net Capital, which is this innovative way of looking at things, but also not really. Because our, our goal, like initially, my thought process was, why are the private markets so different from the public markets? Like, why is it so easy for me to buy stock in IBM and so hard for me to buy stock in, at the time, like Snapchat or right. like, you know, Spotify or DraftKings, which are like these big private companies at the time. Um, and it's just impossible. Why is that the case? And it seemed to me like there were ways to make the private markets behave more like the public markets. And the Jobs Act was really the catalyst of that because the Jobs Act created this like drive-through window to the capital markets where you could get access to capital without having quite as rigorous of a reporting regimen, though there, you, know, you do have to go through diligence and you have to be unregistered intermediary and it's not easy, but it's not quite as costly and burdensome as you know, doing an IPO. No, absolutely. So you, you found that capital um, Jobs Act takes a while to actually take hold back in 2016. Um, yeah. You know, there were there were definitely struggles in the early days. And I think the struggles, like anything, were just um, growing pains where, when, you know, if you build it, they will come. I think we all learned pretty early on that that's not necessarily the case. So tell sure. me about kind of those early days in 2016, you know, how things went um, and how you guys kind of thought about solving those problems once you saw how the markets generally work. Well, first and foremost, like, you know, we were a five person team at the time and it's hard. It's hard <laughs> to start a company with five people, period. It's really hard to start a company that's regulated and, you know, <laughs> jumping through all of those hoops. And, you know, thankfully we have a, an awesome chief compliance officer who, you know, very well. Sure. He's, he's, he's just great, Paul. And you know, he was able to lead us, you know, because I was really young, I've never dealt, I've never dealt with finance at all, let alone, you know, being in a regulated space. So that was, that was a real challenge. And then I think, you know, you mentioned that if, if we build it, they will come. I wouldn't say we had quite that level of delusion, but I do think that over time, you know, there's an old adage on, on Wall Street that securities are never bought, they're sold. And I, I really believe that that's still true today. And the challenge is, as a funding portal, we can't sell. That's not right. our role. It's not our job. And it's not what we want to do, frankly, that we don't believe that that's what net capital should be doing. Net capital's ethos is we, we've built a very flexible tool that, that makes private securities digitized and efficiently tra tradable. And we, through the Jobs Act and the new rules that allow for general solicitation, you, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, as the business development team, you can now sell your stock. And that's the magic of this space is it's this whole new tool in the tool belt of the entrepreneur, where in the past, like if you had to raise capital, there, there's really only one way. I mean, there's the angel groups. If that works for you, great. There's sort of the individual angel investors, which is an excellent resource, but really hard to get in. 
Like you need to be in to get in. And then there's the venture community, which is a little bit of the, you need to be in to get in. And also you have to be on a very specific growth track, which is not applicable to most companies. And this is this whole new way to raise capital where the entrepreneur has a lot more control and you can do a lot more interesting things. And I know you leverage this as the founder and CEO, like when you raise the traditional way, it's basically all on you, Chris. Like yeah. you're out doing the meetings, you're doing the follow-up, everybody's, everybody's backing you and they'll tell you to your face, Chris, I'm backing you. Like you're the reason I'm in, right? How many times have people <laughs> that? No, absolutely. Couldn't agree and, more. And through this platform, you can involve your team because your team can like t- tweet about it or send an email campaign or make some phone calls to friends and family or, you know, people from their old job and be like, Hey, I just joined this really cool company, King's crowd. And like, we're raising capital on, on this platform. I'd love for you to check it out. And it's the, the activation energy for an investor to make an investment is just so much lower because it's just a few clicks on a website and you can invest as little as a hundred bucks or even less in some cases. It's not like, these $100,000 minimums where you have to have like this really strong sense of like commitment to the, to the firm. And, you know, it's probably a conversation with your spouse at home, because even if you're really wealthy, $100,000 is still $100,000. I mean, that's not cheap. Um, so it really just changes the way that people can go about investing and that entrepreneurs can think about accomplishing their fundraising goals. Well, I can tell you that the spouse talk has lost me a lot of thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. People are like, I'm in for 50. I just need to talk with my spouse. And then it becomes a 10 instead of a 50. Always, always <laughs> a little tough to take. It's like, how about I get on the phone with your spouse? <laughs> hey, that's good. Ba- that means good, healthy, balanced relationships. You know, someone's <laughs> always got to be the risk taker and someone's got to keep you grounded. So it's good. I and you have got to encourage those conversations because what's of utmost importance is you don't want any family taking risks that they that's you know above the risk that they're comfortable with oh you're you're absolutely right um so you know now the the world has advanced forward pretty uh pretty significantly would love to hear you know as the world has kind of evolved in the reg cs space and the online private markets um what's kind of your unique positioning that you've taken for net capital in this kind of grand sphere I think for us, it's, we, we like to hang our hat on service. We think that's really important, especially in, in, the, in the financial services industry. And I, I have an investor, I'm an angel investor who helped me at the very beginning who was um, pretty high up at Fidelity. And he, he's the one, he's always been in our ear about that, where he, he was like, look, when the market crashed, right? Because Fidelity's been through all of them. Right. Yeah. And like what differentiated fidelity from everybody else is that we would get on the phone and we would talk to you. And when people are investing money, they, they like to be able to hear your voice. They like to be able to feel comfortable. They want to feel like cared for. And he, he gave me some statistic. I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but in a crash, it was like some massive percentage of fidelity customers had lost money that year or that month or that quarter, whatever the time period was. And a similarly massive percentage of their customers were happy with, with, with the service of Fidelity. Mm. And that's like a very unusual because usually if you lose money, you take your business elsewhere. Right. So that's really important. And, And service, you know, it comes down, there are two ways to service a customer. Number one is with a person on the phone who you like and who you trust and who you feel comfortable with. And number two is with technology. Um, and we've built 
I, I believe the best tools in the industry, particularly for companies trying to get listed. We've just made it really easy for a company to generate their form C and file it with the SEC without having to, you know, removing a lot of the concerns in that process and making it really straightforward. We like to say we turbotaxed it, right? Like we make taxes yeah. easy, we make your form C easy. Um, and, and then the third piece of that is cost. I mean, we, we you know, we're not, we're not in this to nickel and dime the investors and we're not in this to nickel and dime the issuers. It's free to invest. We don't charge our investors to invest. Um, we do have a payment processor that if you pay by credit card, there's a small fee paid to them, but we don't charge you. Um, and we're the cheapest in the industry for uh, issuers. We charge 4.9%, which is pretty significantly lower than most of the other funding portals in the industry. And, you know, that's the way we like it because, you know, we, we really view ourselves as, as a facilitator. Well, we just want to facilitate innovation, getting funded, and investors who have been traditionally locked out from innovation to be able to get their, you know, capital where they want it to go. Very, very cool. In terms of uh, the type of deal flow you're seeing come onto the platform, um, especially, well, to take a step back, actually. So in March, we, we see that the regulations removed from allowing $1.07 million per year to be raised. Um, now it's a nice flat number, $5 million that can be raised uh, by founders from non-accredited investors per year uh, yeah. under Reg CF. So tell us about you know, have you seen any shifts in the types of companies that are coming to market with you now? Has it changed the conversations that you're having with founders now that that's possible? For sure. And um, it's, it's monumental. It's, I mean, it's the biggest thing that's happened in our space since 2016. And, you know, yes, you know, we've been doing side-by-side -side offerings for a while where you can raise an unlimited amount of capital. It's just the bucket that can be filled up by non-accredited investors, which is 90 to 95% of US households, is limited. It has been capped at 1 million. And then the yeah. other bucket can be filled up by accredited investors or institutions. What the change did is increase that cap on the bucket for non-accredited from 1 million to 5 million. And it's important. It's not just 5 million. It's 5 million every year. Right. That's, that's really significant. Like if you're Facebook, you could have ran Facebook for a long time off of $5 million a year. So yeah. it allows companies to be much more self-sustaining, raising capital in this way. So that's number one. And then number two, there are, there are private companies that just wouldn't have really considered listing on a platform like Net Capital just because a million dollars really doesn't move the needle. And not just a million dollars, but also you know, like typically, let's say it's like a thousand dollar average investment, which I think is probably reasonable for the space. That's a thousand investors that you can get um, and earn. And, you know, Chris, like that's a huge piece of raising in this way is earning brand ambassadors and generating loyalty because there's nothing like having somebody in the world who owns equity in your business and is yeah. financially incentivized for you to be successful. So you go from allowing a thousand people to become brand ambassadors to 5,000 people becoming brand ambassadors. That's just incredibly significant. Um, and so, you know, I, I think what we've seen is an interest in, in companies that are maybe a little m more mature and a little bit further along who maybe a year ago would have like 
love to do this, but just felt like it might not be worth it because of the, of the strict caps. But with $5 million cap, okay, now that's interesting. And so I think we're going to see, you know, and it's not just that, Chris, and I don't know if this is connected to the, to the lift or not, but just in general, 2021 has felt to be a much more accepting year of our yep. space in general. Like we've even had, we've had venture firms send us deal flow uh, and, and deal flow where, where the firms are already in the deal and on the board. And they view us as, hmm, you know what this company might really need? 5,000 rabid brand ambassadors and they could use a couple million dollars in financing. Let's throw them on net capital and help them get that done because that could be really impactful to the success of our business. That would have never happened in 2016. No. And, it, you know, it's like anything, you know, the early believers just have to believe, right? And, and they go in kind of eyes wide open and, and they don't know what it's going to look like, but they're like, hey, I believe in this space. But now we're seeing that it actually works. Um, and I, I, there was a really interesting thing happened this morning. Um, there was a company, I forget what platform it was on, but they just raised three months ago on a platform. And then they've raised like $20 million from Andreessen Horowitz, like the most notable venture capital firm in probably the world. And yeah. the fact that you can raise from crowdfunding, raise on one of these online marketplaces, and then go and raise from the best venture capitalists in the world, it's a signal that that whole story of, well, if you raise money in this space, it, it proves you're weak or you know, you're, you're not the best type of companies. It's just completely false. And I think we're starting to be able to prove that out. And those anecdotal wins for the space are so huge because that's, that's probably one of the most common questions I've gotten since day one is if I do this round on net capital, even if I'm successful, isn't that going to chill my ability to raise follow-on funding for venture? And, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably well plugged in and I have a lot of friends at different venture firms and I've never heard that from anybody, anybody that I respect, I've never heard that. And they yeah. say, look, if it's a good opportunity, we're in like we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not going to not be in because of the way you finance and by the way almost every company screws up their friends and family around okay yeah like it's like handwritten convertible notes in shoe boxes with your uncle okay <laughs> doing your first round of capital on an sec registered funding portal and working through a regulated channel where forms are being filed with the sec and handled in a very responsible and professional way, that's orders of magnitude better than the typical first few rounds of capital. So that, that whole like dogma of, of like doing a raise through a platform is going to hurt you in the long run has never made any sense to me. Uh, I've never understood where it's coming from because I've never heard it from anybody that I respect in the, in the field. Um, and it's been frustrating, but it's like, you know, it, you know, everybody has challenges and, and when you're in new space, it's always going to be that way. And, um, you know, I feel like we're sort of breaking through that, which, which is good, but I, I need to recruit you to a cause. I think Chris, please, we need to rebrand the space equity I, crowdfunding is the only brand long-term. I've heard today. That's worse than simple, innovative financing. <laughs> 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 I couldn't agree more. I put them in line, actually. Yeah, they're both terrible. Um, equity crowdfunding is just the worst term in the world. And just so like, I, 
you know, my thing is I always go back to, okay, fine. Yeah, this is equity crowdfunding. You know what else is equity crowdfunding? The public markets. <laughs> that's my that's my line. You got that from me, I think. That's my line. I may have gotten it from you. I don't know, <laughs> but I couldn't agree more with the line because my gosh. Nobody like, calls an IPO an equity crowdfunding. Yeah. Oh, oh, Airbnb is doing an equity crowdfunding round on NASDAQ. <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous. Right, via Goldman Sachs. Yeah, via Goldman Sachs. Like, it's just absolute absurdity. So, but the problem is I have never come up with something that I think is great. I, there, I've come up with things that I think are better because basically anything is better, but yeah. I haven't come up with anything that I think is actually great. But you, I feel like you could help us with that so, because it's just, I know, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. So I always say online private markets because it's the next best thing I can think of that's a million times better than equity crowdfunding, except it's too long. And like, who wants to say online private market, especially if they're like a third time you say it or like write it down. You're like, wow, this is way too long. But I have no idea. I kind of like what Howard and Start Engine did. Didn't they, they branded it as OPO, right? Online public offerings. Oh, online public offerings. Yeah. I, I kind of, when I saw that, I liked it, um, but it hasn't really taken off because I've been following that because if it took off, I would, I would, that's way better than equity crowdfunding. I liked what Howard was thinking about. I totally get it. He, you know, he and I think pretty similarly, um, but it just, for whatever reason, it's, it, it didn't take hold in the industry. So it, maybe it's not quite right, but I don't know. I liked it when I first saw it. No, no, me too. I, you know, unfortunately public markets, there's only one channel, it's the public markets, but in the private markets, they'll say, well, private markets are really, you know, the traditional channel. So I, I don't know what the, what the term is, but I couldn't agree more. We need something better. I mean, we preach online private mortgage just to get people not saying the word equity crowdfunding, but I don't know when we'll solve that one. Well, I mean, the other issue with it is it's, it's sometimes it's hard when you live the space, which we all do to realize that if you walked on the streets of any major city or let alone in, in the suburbs or in a rural area, just let's just take Boston or San Francisco or Miami. If you walked on the street and you asked them, did you know that you can invest in startups today yeah. online? Yeah. Nine out of 10 people would say they have no idea. So really? That's the, cool. edu- the educational gap that we still have to cross as a space is massive. And when, when, when those sorts of people hear the word crowdfunding, yeah. they'll say, you take one of those nine of 10 people who said they didn't know and be like, oh, well, it's called equity crowdfunding they'll be like oh oh sorry i have heard of this kickstarter yeah no it's nothing like kickstarter because kickstarter you put money in it's like a a glorified pre-order or you know really just support you're pledging your support it's not a financial security you know we are unlocking a high growth high risk security financial asset to a pool of americans that have never been able to invest in this asset before this is a legitimate opportunity for everyone, but they need to understand these are really high risk. You know, you don't want to allocate more than a couple percents of your of your net worth to this asset class. You need to diversify because the specific risk of any one investment is very high. And I think as a space, that is still our biggest challenge is educating at scale. And we haven't cracked that nut yet. And that's what's going to, that's what's going to take us from where we are to 10 X where we are. I think that's right. I, to add one thing to that, 
you know, if we look at the crypto space and why that's blown up, well, it's a high risk, high reward type of thing, right? And people are seeing it skyrocket, but it's high risk, high reward, uh, but very short term. And when I say short term, I mean, it's, it's very liquid. So you can hop in and you can make a bunch of money and you can sell it and you'd be super excited and you see the number go up and you have no idea why it went up, but you get excited and you can sell it and you're like, I made a bunch of money. With startups, it's like high risk, high reward, locked up for 10 years, hope for the best. And you have to have a long-term vision and a patience that, you know, frankly, our society in general does not have. Um, And so I think it's really hard for people to get behind this idea of, wait, I'm giving you my money and you're telling me like, it could be like 10, 100X, but like, I'm gonna have to wait a bunch of years and it's kind of this black box. And one of the major problems is that there's really no traditional channels of liquidity, basically an ability to sell your stock um, in the near term on any of these marketplaces. Now, I know you guys have partnered with a firm called Rialto. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know that we, Net Capital Systems provided the secondary transfer feature to companies um, for some time. And it, it was a great test and a great pilot. And our users seem to really love it. And, you know, I mean, investors have a right to be able to sell securities. I mean, if they're able to buy, right, and we're concerned about investor protection, they should be enabled to sell as well if there's somebody yep. else who wants to buy shares from you at a, you know, agreed upon price. So we've, uh, we partnered with Rialto Markets, which is an alternative trading system. They're great. They're like pioneers in the ATS space. They've set up nine ATSs between the founding team there. Um, they're really smart. And we're really excited about that because they can bring a broader scope of distribution, we believe, to that aspect. And that's a core piece of, of making the private capital markets work, which was my initial goal. I mean, and when I, I sort of mentioned to you that when I was working at this other startup, I sort of had these ideas of like, why doesn't the, why doesn't this work like the public markets do? And it, to me, it boiled down to only three problems. Number one is that there's inefficient access to deal flow versus efficient access to deal flow. Number two is the minimum investment sizes are prohibitive. Instead of yeah. being able to just like go to your E-Trade or Fidelity account and put in 50 bucks, you have to put in $50,000 per deal. And then the third is there's no liquidity. <clears throat> and so our goal from step one, day one at Net Capital was if we can build a technology platform that allows real people to access private deal flow efficiently, invest with low minimums and connect to liquidity, that would be really powerful. And so that's always been sort of our North star is solving those three problems. And um, we feel like we've solved problem number two, for sure. Problem number one, we're on our way to solving. And the, the, the challenge there is we want every deal. Every deal should have an invest button. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and then problem three, we feel like the technology that we've built, uh, that Net Capital Systems built is, is really powerful. Um, we believe we proved it out in the pilot, in the beta, and we believe that with Rialto, once we were able to relaunch it with Rialto, um, we could be on our way to solving that problem. You know, we'll see. That, it's, a, it's a ways out, I believe. No, absolutely. A ways out, but you know what, is, if we think about the evolution of the private markets over the next 10 years, in the next decade, the private markets, from my perspective, the net capitals, the Republic, it, it's going to look like you more than it is going to look like the traditional private equity venture capital world. Um, I do believe that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I view it as I view it as very cooperative. I mean, there's there's a there's a necessary role for every arm of the market that exists right now. And when I think of that, I think of there's angel investors, there's um, venture investors, there's angel group sort of funds, and then there's strategic investors, and then there's us platforms, um, the online private markets where you can you know, raise capital from the people who care most passionately about your business. And I believe that, that the best companies will leverage all five of those avenues to maximum effectiveness. I don't believe it's a choice. I believe it's a, I choose them all. I think it's an, I choose them all, but I think it's, I choose them all and I funnel them all through a platform. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, for sure. For sure. Because there's no reason not to. But and yeah. also, fo- you know, focus is good. And I mean, there it's, there are obvious ways that the pla- I mean, venture is going to be the hardest because venture is an entire institution that's built upon um, doing these deals. So they have a lot of inf- infrastructure built in where they're not as uh, need they they don't feel like they need a platform quite as much as maybe others do. And also, you know, I, I believe venture as an industry is built upon taking advantage of the inefficiency of the market. Um, And so platforms create efficiency in a historically inefficient market, which inevitably is bad for those who make money on the inefficiency. And I don't think that that's, you know, I think the best venture firms are going to figure out a way to use this to their advantage. But, you know, the venture industry is super disparate at this point. I mean, there's so many like micro funds and, you know, I don't think the top tier venture firms are going to be in any way bothered by what the online private markets do. And I think they'll find a way to leverage it. But I do think that the smaller funds are going to have to figure out a way to add more value. Yeah. Or just recognize that capital's commodity, their commodity, and they should basically be, you know, a listed fund that anyone can invest in and they should be investing in these deals. And, you know, my kind of worldview is a lot of these firms will become almost like professional, you know, hedge funds or public market ETFs that are utilizing the online private markets to find efficiencies, to have better access to data, to create better returns for investors and have more liquidity solutions built into what they're providing. They provide larger dollar sums, they might provide more support, they might be more involved with the company, but ultimately they're funneling it through a more efficient system. And that's a world I wanna live in, maybe, you know. (laughs) Well, we can preach to our mutual choir. Obviously we both believe in that or we wouldn't be doing what we do. It's just like, it's always to me been a matter of when and not if. I mean, the world is moving online. Everybody wants to transact digitally. There's no reason that for me to close an investor, I have to walk to an angel group meetup and pass around a hat and then send wiring instructions to all 12 investors and they have to, you know, wire me fun. It's just, it's nonsense. Um, So uh, we have a mutual friend, one of my very first investors who was very influential in creating the mutual fund industry. And he invested in net capital really early. It was like my first angel investor. I remember he told me, he said, you know, when the mutual, when the rules were first put in place to allow 40 act funds, mutual funds, um, we all thought it was just going to take off. And this was like, oh my God, what a great product for retail investors. They're going to love this. And it just didn't, and it just didn't, and it just didn't, and it just didn't. And it was like, it had this negative stigma, like, oh, you're in a mutual fund. Like what, you can't invest, you can't pick your own stocks. Like, 
it had all this negativity <laughs> and then and now right you fast forward to today and mutual funds are like the gold standard if you're a retail investor and you're not sure what to do and you have i mean it's either an index fund or a mutual fund and so he told me when he invested back in 2016 he said this is going to take a lot longer than you think it's going to <laughs> i was like all right all right yeah we'll see we'll see but he was right he was right and i believe that technology compresses those timelines i can't remember how long it took for the 40 like for mutual funds to become the way they are today i think it took like 40 years wow. and i don't think it's going to be that long because the way that technology moves but you know it's already been five years and frankly we're still not even out of the starting blocks as a space i mean we're really not um and so there's there's so much white space for us to cover as a space and as an industry and i'm i'm just excited to be a part of it and try to help push it as much as we can awesome well this has been a fantastic discussion. I really, really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Um, always love chatting about Net Capital. Really, uh, you should be proud of everything that you've built for this space. And, you know, you're definitely one of the pioneers who's pushed this forward. So thanks for everything you've done and appreciate the really terrific conversation. Thanks, Chris. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. And I know King's Crowd's got some really exciting things coming up. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm always following your progress and um, I thank you for all the ways you've pushed our space because we need you. Uh, we need more support. Like the platforms can only do so much, both because we have a lot on our plates and regulatorily, we can't do certain things. So we, we need more people like Chris, like King's Crowd to jump into the space, to provide, you know, independent analysis and research. I mean, that's so valuable and so helpful to investors that are just, like I said, the education gap. I mean, you guys are helping cross that chasm because people can turn to you for independent unbiased advice and research and that's really really something that we all need well i appreciate it thanks so much jason and uh have a wonderful day thank you everyone for listening take care thanks all